Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us a restful night and we ask you now to refresh our souls as we begin another day of Lent with you. Give us your thought into our minds and feed our spirits with your words so that we can walk with you this day faithfully and obediently. All this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the living word of God. Amen. Yesterday, in the first part of the Romans 2, Justin Peck told us that according to Paul, Jews also have the problem of a sin and they are facing God's judgment. Whether one is a Jew or Gentile, we all have the spiritual stubbornness and unrepented heart, and God will judge us accordingly. By the way, one important truth that I think we need to remember from uh, yesterday's passage was that God is an impartial judge. God is an impartial judge. God's judgment is a fair, and no one needs to worry about God's ability to judge us. The deeper we know God and His heart, the greater we can trust God's judgment and have confidence about God's faithfulness, I mean fairness. Because in the Romans 1, verse 11, you know, Paul said, God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will perish apart from the law. All who sin, sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Here Paul was simply saying, God will not judge Gentiles without law in the same way he judges the Jews or believers with the law. God will bring the most fair judgment to everyone accordingly. After all, we believe God is more than fair judge. He judges his son to save sinners. So let us trust God that He is a fairer than anyone, especially when it comes to judgment. Today in the second half of Romans 2, Apostle Paul brings out a more pointy, pointy warning. If the first half was a general rebuke, second half was a more acute. With that, let's read Romans chapter 2, verse 17 to 29. Now, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know His will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has a value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. 
So then, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirement, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is a circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Apostle Paul speaks about the sin and mistakes of Jewish people more than the problems committed by Gentiles. He devoted the entire chapter 2 to Jewish problem, while only the half of chapter 1 to the Gentile problems. Why? It was because Paul did not want the Roman Gentile Christians to make the same mistake that his fellow Jewish people made. That is a sin of self-assumption and arrogance. While Gentiles' mistake primarily originated from their pagan ignorance, Jewish people's sin came from their prideful arrogance. They received the law and God's revelation, yet they failed to respond to God with the faith and righteousness. Worse, they actually resisted God's will. Paul pointed out two interrelated truths about Jewish mistakes in today's passage. First one is a misplaced confidence, misplaced confidence of Jewish people. And second point, second truth is a main concerns of God, main concerns of God. First, they misplaced their confidence in having law, particularly circumcision. Verse 17, now, if you call yourself a Jew, if you relied on the law and boast in God. Jewish people made their Jewish identity with their faith in the law. They boasted that God chose them and gave them His law. They were proud of God's law and they really believed in the power of the law. Paul continues in verses 18 to 20, that with law, Jewish people believed the Jews can be a guide for the blind Gentile, lie to those Gentiles in the dark, to instruct the foolish, teach Gentiles like little children. By the way, these confident beliefs in the law of God are not wrong. Actually, these are the right understanding of the law because the law is the embodiment of all knowledge and the truth. There was nothing wrong about their belief in the power of the law. However, their problem was that they were just content in possessing the law of God, not in practicing the law. Their problem is about the false pride in, of possessing the law, not practicing the law. That's what Paul condemns them. So verse 21 then you teach others 
Do you not teach yourself? You preach against stealing. Do you steal? You who say the people should not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who abhors idols. Do you rob temples? You who boast in the law. Do you, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? Without practicing the law, Paul says, Jewish people actually provoke God and others. Without obedience, their confidence in the law brought God nothing but a shame and ridicule. ridicule. Verse 24, as it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Here Paul quotes Isaiah 52.5 from the Septuagint or the Greek Old Testament version. And the context of Isaiah 52.5 was a Babylonian exile. Jewish people's disobedience to the law of God made them not the witnesses of God's wisdom and love, but the POW in the foreign country. And Babylonian and many Gentiles ridiculed the Jewish pride and faith in the law. After pointing out the Jewish people's lack of practice and obedience to the law, and their hypocritical and the mere prideful possession of the law, Paul now attacks the greatest pride and the highest confidence of a Jewish people, that is circumcision. Verse 25, Paul says, Circumcision has a value if you observe the law. If you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. This is a huge attack on circumcision because the Jewish people view circumcision as a God's guarantee for their eternal life. Let me repeat that. Jewish people saw circumcision as a God's you know, eternal security for their life. Circumcision was the sign of a covenant that God established with Abraham in Genesis 17. And God promised those who are circumcised are in the eternal covenant with God. While Jewish people diligently circumcised their, uh, their men, slowly circumcision became a false security. For instance, one rabbinic tradition says circumcision saves from hell. Circumcision saves the Jews from the hell. A rabbi even wrote that Abraham himself sits before the gates of a hell and does not allow any circumcised Israel to enter there. Paul tells us that's the misplaced confidence in human rituals and man-made tradition. Then Paul brings out the main concerns of God for our life. That is, God wants us to strive for heart-based obedience rather than living externally focused religious life. God wants us to live in a real personal relationship with Him rather than ritualistic religious life. The true circumcision God wants and Paul calls us for is not in the flesh but in the heart. He gave a very radical redefinition of a true circumcision and actually membership of God's covenantal community in verse 28 and 29. A person is not a Jew who is a one only outwardly, nor the circumcision merely outward and physical. No, person is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision 
is a circumcision of a heart by the Spirit. Paul says that only if your heart is circumcised, you are true Jew and the real member of a God's covenantal community. What is a circumcision of a heart? As you know, circumcision is removing foreskin of a man's most sensitive part of the body. While most men get it done at birth, some get it done later. In the, and then if you get it done later, you know how painful that is. In the last century, when I was a young seminarian, one day I was driving some college students from Berkeley to Los Angeles. One of them was circumcised just a day before the trip. And on the way, anytime car hit a little bump, he moaned. So one of the passengers was a female college student who didn't know about it. And she constantly asked him, Are you okay? What's wrong with you? You know, our brother was too shy to tell her. And the rest of us just left quietly all the way to Los Angeles. Circumcision is a painful. Circumcision of a heart is a more painful than physical one. Why? Circumcision of a heart was done on the cross, on the Son of God, who removed my sin from God's presence. Thus, when our heart is a circumcised in Christ, we cannot reduce, we cannot reduce our relationship with God to some rituals and externals. Just like the confident Jews of Paul's days, we can also have a misplaced confidence and miss the main concerns of God. Any theology, any, any Christian ritual, any Christian whatever conviction that make us self-confident is not authentic faith and healthy confession. Let us remember all rituals and external practices are to keep our heart freshly grateful and humble to love God and serve His people. Even our house church ministry, it can be misplaced confidence. Let's not just attend our church ministry. Let's really pray. Let us really pray for everyone in your house church. And then let us really come before God with gratitude and humility. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are the most real thing. You are the reality that we need to remember and live each moment. Forgive us, O Lord, for downsizing, compartmentalizing your real presence and your main concern to our religious rituals and assumptions. Instead of obeying and applying your law, we bask in our conceptualization and even consummation of your consumption of your words. You gave us your words so that we will practice and become like you. Help us get back to the real things beyond our rituals. Help our hearts be circumcised in Christ during the Lent. Help us remember our relationship cost you most really and dearly. In the most real name of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, we pray. 
Amen.